Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of Real Faith. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Merry Christmas to you. Happy birthday to Jesus. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk about somebody. And if you're new, you may not know the answer to this story. But if you're part of our church family, who are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about Jesus. And, And when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about the most significant life lived in the history of the world. We actually measure time by his life into BC, which is before Christ, and AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. We celebrate his resurrection every Easter, and we celebrate his birthday every Christmas. If you are with us, I want you to know that it's all about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. And what we're doing, we're throwing a birthday party for Jesus because the world has been closed, but heaven is open. Everything is bad. Jesus is good. And if your hope was in anyone or anything in 2020, you're a bit disappointed. Good news. Jesus is still Lord, God, Savior, King, and Christ. And there is still something to look forward to. And that's the eternal life that he gives. Amen? Amen. All right. Let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. The impact of his life is rather shocking. He lived a few thousand years ago, grew up in a small town, had a poor family, peasant parents. They were probably teenagers when they were married. He didn't travel more than a few hundred miles from his home. He never wrote a book. He never held a political office. He never had a Twitter account. He, He didn't get married. He didn't have any kids. He, he lived a very simple life for the first 30 years. He lived in relative obscurity. People didn't really know that his life was even being lived openly and publicly on the planet. And then at age 30, everything changed. And suddenly he started preaching and teaching and he started performing miracles and he brought the kingdom of God because he is the King of Kings. And in his three short years of ministry, Jesus has left an indelible legacy on all of human history. To this day, Christianity and the Christian church is the biggest movement of any sort or kind in the history of the world. Today, this week, we are gathering with billions of brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the family of God, who are followers of Jesus Christ. And this is the biggest movement of any sort or kind in the history of the world. And as we're talking about this person, Jesus, I need you to know that in many religions, there is a place that serves as their head. For us, it is not a place, it is a person. The center of Christianity is Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. His life is so significant. His impact is so indelible and his claims to be God. And you need to know this about Jesus. He is the only founder of any major world religion who declared himself to be God. So what I wanna do in our time together, I wanna look at some sections of God's word. If you're not a Christian, these are in the Old Testament. These were predating the forthcoming of Jesus. This was God's way of preparing people for the coming of Christ. And 25% of the Bible was prophetic in nature when it was written, anticipating the future. And what it tells us is number one, that God knows the future. Number two, that God rules the future. And number three, that it's ultimately all about Jesus. And so what we're gonna do, we're gonna look at these in succession and I'll share them with you. We'll start number one, 400 years before Christ, excuse me, 4,000 years before Christ, there were two human beings on planet earth. Their names were Adam and Eve. They were created by God. They were loved by God. They were provided for by God. Everything was perfect. And then they did that which is unconscionable 
but we have all done similarly and that was sin. Our first parents representing all of humanity sinned against God, rebelled against God, chose independence from God. And God could have left them and then ultimately all of the rest of humanity and human history to sin and death and destruction. And God would have been completely and totally justified. But instead he's a loving God and he's an active God and he is a relational God. And you need to know that he pursued them and you need to know that he has been pursuing you. Some of you are not even aware that God has been pursuing you, that he loves you, that he has a plan for you, that he has a destiny for you, that he has a hope for you. And he comes to speak to our first parents. And here is the big idea. Human beings are the problem, therefore we cannot be the solution. The problem we have is a global problem. It doesn't matter what age you live in, what national, nationality you are, what country you might reside in. We are all sinners and we all die. We are all part of the problem, therefore we cannot be the solution. This planet has a God-sized problem. And here's what God says. God shows up, Genesis 3.15, and he speaks. And I will put enmity between you. He's speaking of Satan who tempts us to sin and is an enemy of God and all that God made good. And the woman, and he's speaking about the coming of Jesus here between your offspring. So it's going to be down the family line and hers. He, that is Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Here's the big idea. We are the problem, Jesus is the solution. That is ultimately the thing that we need to accept. And every year we put our hope in someone or something. Every election, we put our hope in someone or something. And invariably, eventually we are disappointed because even good people make bad saviors. Even good leaders make bad gods. And so God identified that our problem is sin and his answer would be his son. And then he tells us more details throughout history to prepare God's people for his coming. Number two, uh, 1400 years before Jesus was walking on the earth, we are told that his family line would come through a man named Abraham. Abraham was an elderly man. He had a barren elderly wife. They were incapable of having children. They were going to need a miracle. The point is this, if you need a miracle, God can provide it. If you need supernatural provision, it only comes from God. And so God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, three, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He says, you're gonna have a boy. This boy is gonna be a blessing to the nations of the earth. He's saying that Jesus Christ, the son of God would come and ultimately be a son of Abraham. He says this as well, God does in Genesis 17, 19. Uh, he says, your wife, Sarah will bear a son and you will call him Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him. What he's saying is I've got a plan to save humanity. I've got a plan to forgive sin. I've got a plan to reconcile the relationship that has been broken between me and the people that I, got, that I made to love. And what he's saying is this covenant relationship would be made possible through this elderly man and this elderly woman having a son and they are to name him Isaac, which means laughter because God always gets the last laugh. And so now grandma and grandpa are gonna give birth to a child and through that child will come a nation and through that nation will come Jesus Christ to be the remedy for the human problem. The third thing that we then learn is that 700 years before Christ, and you see this every year on your Christmas cards, this is the great go-to verse. We're told that Jesus' mother would be a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, a male child, specific details, 
and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. Who was that woman that fulfilled that prophecy? Jesus' mother, Mary. She was a betrothed, unwed, young teenage girl. And God chose her to be the fulfillment of the prophecy through Isaiah 7, 14, that ultimately a son would be born to a virgin and that he would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's what you need to know. We don't go up to God, God came down to us. And that ultimately, this is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the history of the world. Every other religion is telling what you should do to go up to God. Christianity tells us what God has done to come down to us. This is the heart of the Christmas season. Our God is humble, he is not proud. Our God comes down to lift us up. And he comes through a humble teenage peasant girl. This shows that God loves all the nations, that God loves men and women, that God also loves the poor. And he loves those who live in obscurity as his parents did. The next thing that we learn from God's word is that he would be born in Bethlehem. We read this in Micah chapter five, verse two, 700 years before Jesus was even born. Let me just pause for a moment. Wouldn't it be nice to know the future? Like, wouldn't it have been nice to know last year what this year was going to be like? So you could just take a sleeping pill and skip it? Wouldn't have that been great? God knows the future. And, and let me tell you this, God reveals the future in his word. Here's what I'm telling you, friend. If you want a word from God, you need to open the word of God. If you wanna prepare yourself for the future, you need to meet with a God who rules and knows it and reveals it. And this specific detail tells us where Jesus would be born. Uh, but you, Bethlehem, that's the city, Ephrathah, that is the region Though you're small, it's a little town. It's a small town. It's not a big deal. Uh, you are small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. A king is coming. Ultimately, that's King Jesus, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. In the original language, that's from eternity. What he's saying is the eternal God is the king of kings and he is coming into human history and he will be born in the little town of Bethlehem. We sing this every year in the Christmas song. For those of you who don't know the story, it's, it's supernatural how God predicted this and then made it come to pass. Mary was very pregnant. She is nearing the end of her term and it is time nearing for Jesus to be born. Uh, she doesn't live in Bethlehem. Where does she live? Nazareth, small little rural town. And then the government. So. Once the government gets involved, you know it's gonna be bad. Okay. I just know it. The government at that time, they're under the rule of the Roman government. And the Roman government decides, we're not sure we're getting all of our taxes. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna take a census. We're gonna make everybody go to their hometown that their family originates from. They're gonna to need to register. And then we can make sure that we tax them. Here's the big idea. God is coming into the world and they're gonna make sure that he gets taxed. Right, that, that tells you everything you need to know about government. God shows up and like, tax them. Okay, so, so Mary and Joseph have to go from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem because his adoptive father, Joseph, is from the family line of David, fulfilling other prophecies in the Bible. The family line of David descends from Bethlehem. So that's his hometown. So now Mary is very pregnant. How many of you ladies, as you're, approaching birth, you don't wanna go on a road trip, <laughs> amen? 
She's either walking or she's on a donkey. Either way, it's a bad day, right ladies? <laughs> so she arrives, they arrive in Bethlehem just in time for the census and that's where Jesus is born. It is about a four day walk, okay? Now you ladies, think about this. How many of you, if you're pregnant and it's like, you need to walk to Mexico so that God could be born. The answer would be too bad for God, right? Uh, <laughs> Mary's a devoted gal. She's pretty incredible, fairly impressive. But what happens is God works out all of human history. And let, me, let me encourage you in this. God can even work through godless government. Okay, that's our hope right there. That's it, okay? That's our hope. God can work through godless government. Pastor Mark, that's negative. No, that's accurate. Okay, next point. <laughs> Number five, 400 years before Jesus walked the earth, it was prophesied that he would enter the temple before 70 AD. Here's what it says in Malachi chapter three, verse one. The Lord, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you are seeking. They're like, where is he? We've been waiting a long time. You said he's coming. When does he get here? We'll come to where? Not just the temple, his temple. The temple was the meeting point between heaven and earth. This is where God would come down and people would come in. And it was the connecting point between heaven and earth where people would be in the presence of God. And ultimately that temple was an outpost of heaven. It belonged to God, God's presence was there and God's people would gather there. And what it was saying here is that that temple belongs to a certain Lord. His name is the Lord Jesus. And that he would arrive at his temple now, what's curious in this, if you know history, uh, this temple in Israel and Israel are the descendants of Abraham fulfilling that promise. So if you're working with me through history, the promise is made to Abraham that his son would become a nation and it became the nation of Israel. And then that nation uh, built the temple as God instructed so that Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords and the ruler of the nation in the temple could come to his temple. It all happened. It all happened. And what's curious, if you go to Israel today, I've been there a few times, the temple does not exist. It was destroyed in 70 AD. Some are Jewish and they're saying, we're awaiting our Messiah. And they'll read the Old Testament and say, yeah, we're waiting for our Messiah. My friend, you missed him. He came to the temple. The temple has not existed since 70 AD. You missed him, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. That ultimately it is not possible that the savior, that the Messiah could come because he has to come to the temple. The temple does not exist. This gives us a historical deadline for the coming of Christ. Number six, uh, we also read 500 years before Jesus Christ was born that he would be betrayed and that the bounty on his head would be 30 pieces of silver, not 29, not 31. God is very specific about the details. And when God promises something, it always comes to pass. Now, this is good news for you and I. If God says our sins are forgiven forever, they are. If God says that we're gonna rise from the dead, we will. If God says that heaven will be open and that his people will be there filled with joy forever, that is guaranteed fact because God is always 100% accurate in doing exactly what he had been promising. Okay? That's the hope of the believer. We trust in the word of God. We trust in the promises of God. 
He says this, Zechariah 11, 12 and 13, they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, and it's a bit of, it's a bit of irony here. Throw it to the potter, that is a portion of the temple. The potter's house was a section in the temple, the handsome price at which they priced me. So it's a bounty. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. What it's saying here is that when Jesus comes, there'll be a bounty on his head. That bounty will be 30 pieces of silver. Once that bounty is paid, that bounty will then be thrown into not just the temple, but a portion of the temple, the potter's house, a particular wing of the temple. This was fulfilled with Judas Iscariot. Judas was Jesus' pretend friend. He was a disciple of Jesus, but here's the thing, he was covert, not overt. Judas didn't let anyone know what his plot was. You ever met somebody who's covert? You don't know that they're your enemy until they've betrayed you. You didn't see it coming. That was Judas. Let me say this to some of you who have church hurt. Some of you have not been in church in a long time. Some of you uh, were in church and you had a bad experience. We'll call it church hurt. And some of you, it might've been a religious leader that hurt you. Let me tell you, it might've been a Judas. Judas was on the leadership team for Jesus' ministry. Jesus had 12 that he chose and Judas, Judas was the devil. He literally sided with Satan and he was covert. Some of you have been hurt by religious leaders and they may not have been God's people. They may have been Satan's counterfeits. Some of you have assumed that what happened to you was in the name of God. It may have in fact have been completely against the character of God. The Judas Iscariot shows us that sometimes Satan puts people in ministry, that sometimes Satan puts people in leadership, and that sometimes he uses those people to harm other people so that they will hate Jesus. And the truth is they're enemies of Jesus and we should love Jesus and we should be discerning about them. And what Judas does the entire time, he's, he's the bookkeeper, he's stealing from Jesus' ministry. And then at the end, he betrays Jesus and he does so with a kiss. He lines up religious leaders, political leaders. They conspire together in the darkness of night, a false trial. They arrest Jesus and Judas betrays him with a kiss. And what do you think Judas was paid for his betrayal? 30, not 29, not 31, pieces of silver, not gold, not bronze, silver. And then what did Judas do with it? He took it to the temple and he threw it in the potter's house. The point is this, that God even knows what his enemies will do. That God doesn't just rule over his children, he rules over all the children of mankind. That God knows the good and the bad that will happen and God ultimately works out, here's the good news, he works out even that which is evil and bad for his good. You and I, we've been through a lot. Some of you have been through an incredible amount. Some of you have some sympathy, empathy or compassion for the betrayal that Jesus suffered from his pretend friend. And let me tell you this, the same God that used that evil for good through Jesus can also do the same through Jesus in your life. And this is where ultimately the worst thing that was ever done was the betrayal and murder of Jesus and God used it to do the greatest good in the history of the world. Okay, this is our hope. And I want you to know that when trial comes or trouble comes, that ultimately, even if you are betrayed, even if you are attacked, even if it is demonic, even if it is evil, even if it is wrong, stick with Jesus and he'll find a way to work it out for good.
And then here's the, here's the long section. This is so good. I love this. 700 years before Jesus was born, it was told through the prophet Isaiah that he would be crucified, buried, and rise from the dead. He talks about the whole life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. He says it this way, starting in Isaiah 52, 13, my servant, the whole section of the end of Isaiah from chapter 40 to 66 is Jesus Christ as our suffering servant. Let me tell you this. You know somebody loves you if they'll suffer for you. Amen? It's, 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 it's amazing when you're suffering. The people who love you most, those are the people who show up. Those are the people who carry the burden. Those are the people who walk with you. Those are the people who care for you. Those are the people who bless you. Let me tell you this. Jesus loved you so much, he came to suffer. When Jesus was ruling and reigning from a throne in heaven, was he suffering? No. Was he serving or was he being served? He was being served. He had an angelic staff. I mean, that's next level hospitality. I mean, that's, that's even better than Paradise Valley. That's incredible. He was being served and not suffering. And he looked down and you know what he saw? He saw you suffering because he sees all of history in a completed form. And what he decided was, I love them so much. I'm going to go down and I'm going to suffer with them. I'm going to suffer for them. I'm going to serve them. I'm here to help them. Okay. One of the reasons I know that nobody made up Christianity is we would have never invented a God who was humble. We live in a world where everybody's trying to go up. More power, more money, more fame, more platform, more square footage. We worship a God who had it all and left it all to love us. Jesus is incredibly humble. This is why he alone is worthy of devotion and worship. The most humble person should be the person in charge. That's Jesus, that's Jesus. And what he does, he comes down to serve us. Let me ask you this, how many people live to serve you? And how many people love you so much that if you're suffering, they wanna come and suffer to remove the suffering from you so that they can carry it for you and with you. This is love like the world does not know. And this is Jesus, friends. There's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. And I know that some of you are suffering. The good news is you have a God who identifies with you. He doesn't stand back and say, I have no idea and I won't enter in. He says, I've been where you are and I'm gonna to come to be with you where you are and then I'm gonna bring you to where I am. Let's continue in the scripture. My servant shall be high and lifted up. That's talking about his crucifixion. He was pierced, talking about him being pierced through the most sensitive nerve centers in the human body, the hands and the feet when he was crucified. But he was pierced for what? Our. That little language of four tells us why Jesus suffered. We know how Jesus suffered. The question is, why did Jesus suffer? He suffered for whose? Our. Let me tell you this. We caused Jesus to suffer and he suffered to serve us. Okay. You need to know that you are a sinner to fully appreciate the fact that there is a savior. You and I, some of what we suffer is unjust. 
We didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything wrong. Much of the pain that we experience in our life, if we're honest, it's decisions we've made and pain we have caused. Jesus is the only person who has lived on this earth completely, totally, continually, perfectly. He didn't do anything wrong, but much wrong was done to him. He didn't do evil to anyone, but everyone has done evil toward him. And he comes down to suffer through his death, burial, and ultimately resurrection. He comes down to serve us, and he does all of this for our transgressions. Let me say this right now. We live in a world where it's very popular to confess everyone else's sin, right? Let's talk about systemic sin. Let's talk about institutional sin. Let's talk about their sin. Let's talk about your sin. No, no one wants to talk about their sin. You and I need to understand that it's not just those people who are doing evil, that we are also those people. That ultimately we're not just a victim of sin, we are also sinners and we have our own victims. And ultimately when Jesus died, he died for who? Our transgressions. The good news is this friend, there is forgiveness. There is blessing. There is eternal life. There are second chances and fresh starts and new beginnings. And his name is, his name is Jesus friends. We all need that. We all need him. It continues. He was crushed for our iniquities. Again, for our. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace or the Hebrew word shalom, wholeness and peace and healing with God. And by his wounds, we are healed. He suffered so that we might be blessed. All, that's everyone. All like sheep have gone where? Astray, we've all just walked away from God, done our own thing, put ourselves in harm's way. We have turned everyone to his own way. We're not following God's way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or sin of us all. He was cut off out of the land of the living. He was gonna die. He was gonna die. And they made his grave with the wicked. He was crucified between two guilty thieves and with a rich man in his death. Now, Jesus was not rich. He was very poor. When he died... There was a follower of his who gifted him his personal tomb as a post-mortem gift. That man's name was Joseph of Arimathea. They had nowhere to bury Jesus. Joseph was a rich man. He said, I already bought my burial plot. Let me give it to Jesus. And that fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. And so Jesus was put into the tomb of a rich man. It was known by Joseph of Arimathea. It was known by the Roman government. It was a piece of land that would have had a deed just like your home. In addition, a soldier was placed in front of it. The inscription or the seal of the Roman government was placed in front of it. And ultimately it was secured. Everybody knew exactly where Jesus was buried because he was buried in the tomb of a rich man as Isaiah had promised. And then three days later, Jesus rises from death. That ultimately this gift from Joseph of Arimathea was to ensure that everyone would know where his dead body lay so that when he walked away from it, it was clear that he was very much alive, okay? Now I want you to see the meticulous details. And let me say this as well. Some of you need to learn to be generous. Joseph thought he was giving a big gift to Jesus. And you know what? He got it back. It was just a, it was, it was just a, just a few days at a hotel. That's all that was. I want you to see in Joseph of Arimathea, he was generous 
to bless the Lord. And ultimately God used it for far greater purposes than he could have ever imagined. There's something in Joseph of Arimathea that it demonstrates how God really does love a cheerful giver. The story continues. Um, he was cut off from the land of the living and they made his grave with the wicked with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. He had no sin in word or deed. He did nothing wrong. He's gonna die, but then here's some really good news. He shall see his offspring, the children of God. He shall prolong his days. After he dies, he's gonna get more days out of the anguish of his soul, after he suffers and dies, the righteous one, there's only one who's righteous, my servant, that's the Lord Jesus, will make many to be accounted righteous. What he's saying is this, I'm sending my son to suffer as a servant. He is going to deal with the human problem, the sin problem. He is going to come and he is going to suffer and he is going to be crucified and he is going to be buried in a rich man's tomb and he will suffer in our place for our sins and then he will rise forth in triumphant victory. He will conquer Satan's sin, death, hell, the wrath of God. He will open heaven. He will give the gift that we cannot earn. He will bless the people who do not ask and he will alter destinies for all eternity. That's exactly why Jesus came. So some of you might ask, what's he doing today? Thank you for asking. That's my eighth point. 1,000 years before Jesus even walked on the earth, it told us where he would be right now. I need to tell you this, Jesus is alive right now. That Jesus is ruling from his divine heavenly throne just as real as you seated on these chairs, he is seated on that throne. When we worship Jesus, and we're gonna do so in a moment, when we celebrate Jesus, when we sing to Jesus, when we pray to Jesus, we are not engaging with a humble, marginalized Galilean peasant. He has now gone from glory to humility. He has returned to glory. And when we sing and we pray, we are engaging his presence and his power. Here's where he is today. Psalm 68, 18, when you ascended, so after his death, our resurrection, he ascended, he returned. You led captives in your train. What that means is when Jesus returned to his heavenly throne, that ultimately heaven was open. That all the people who had been waiting and they'd been reading all of these prophecies and promises in God's word. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? He's here. He lived, he died, he rose. And now he is ascending and he's taking the souls of all the saints who had been waiting in eager expectation and anticipation with him. Let me tell you this. Many people died in faith waiting for Jesus to come. You and I are just like them. We are waiting in faith for Jesus to come again. And just as he was faithful to come the first time, he is faithful to come the last time. And it says this, the Lord says to my Lord, Psalm 110 verse one, sit at my right hand. That's the seat of authority and power and dominion. The God, the Father and God, the Son and God, the Spirit are ruling and reigning together forever until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You know you're tough when, when your coffee table is your enemy. That's when you know you're tough. 
that ultimately his enemies are like a footstool, that he rules over them, that he has authority and dominion. And so what we're gonna do right now is I wanna summarize this and then we're gonna sing together. Now, this was only eight prophecies. There are more than 61 in the Bible. They've all come true. Let me tell you this, this is the word of God. If you come back to the Trinity Church and we would love to have you, you will learn the word of God, amen? Amen. We believe in the word of God, that ultimately this is the only perfect thing on planet earth, that ultimately it is not a word about God, it is a word from God. Everything it says is true and everything it promises will pass. And ultimately the hero of the whole story is Jesus Christ because it's all about Jesus. In addition, I want you to know, trust and believe in both Jesus Christ and the word of God. And I want you to know that in a day where we've had many technological advancements, we still have no ability to predict the future. Amen? If we learned anything this year, it's that we don't know anything. I mean, okay? And that ultimately, wouldn't it be nice if there was a God who knew the future? Wouldn't it be nice if that God would talk to us to prepare us for the future? Wouldn't it be nice if that God could defeat death so that the biggest fear that has gripped the entire planet would be robbed of all of its power because for us to live is Christ, to die is gain, and to depart and to be with the Lord is far better. Church is essential. Jesus is essential, the Bible is essential, and the worst thing is not to die, it's to die without knowing Jesus Christ. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, you do so right now. So yeah, what are you trying to do, get me saved? Thank you for paying attention, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm not like Judas, I don't do covert, I do overt. God has been pursuing you as he was pursuing Adam and Eve. God has been speaking to you as he has been speaking throughout history. And God is welcoming you during this Christmas season to receive the greatest gift that has ever been given in the history of the world, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I want you to receive Jesus Christ as a gift. So what we're gonna do in just a moment, we're gonna sing. But first, I'm gonna pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were seated on your throne and you looked down and you saw the mess we had made and you came down. You came down to serve us. You you came down to suffer for us. You came down to seek us. You came down to save us. Lord Jesus, that's incredible. That's the best news we've ever heard. We're not good, but we're loved. We're not right, but we're forgiven. We're not perfect, but we have a perfect God who does perfect work through imperfect people. Jesus, there's no one like you. And Jesus, we just say, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for living. Thank you for dying. Thank you for rising. Thank you for ruling. Thank you for reigning. Thank you that your promises will come true and one day your feet will return to this planet and every inch will be your kingdom and all that is broken will be healed and and all that is wrong will be made right, and and all who are dead will rise. And God, I thank you that the world that we long for, the world that we hope for, the the world that we strive for is ultimately a world that has to come down with the Lord Jesus. So Lord Jesus, until you come, we ask that you would make us faithful. And God, as we come to sing, we just confess that right now Jesus is alive. 
that right now Jesus is seated on a throne, that right now Jesus will hear our prayers, that right now Jesus will receive our worship, and right now Jesus will send down the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us, to change us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to empower us until we see Jesus face to face in whose name we pray, amen. Merry Christmas, love you.